My name is Erin Corey, and I'm a senior lecturer in media and communication studies at Malmo University. Today's guest on Medea Vox is Monsell Il Cosby Durden, choreographer, embodied historian, dancer, and professor at the University of Southern California's Gloria Kaufman School of Dance. Monsell is an expert in Afro-diasporic dance, including locking, house, hip-hop, authentic jazz, and party dances from 1900 to present day. He is a documentarian, the author of a book about hip-hop, and has published articles in Jazz Dance and the Encyclopedia of African Cultural Heritage in North America. In addition to his academic work, Monsell is also a member of Mop Top Crew, the New York City Dance Crew, made famous by the PBS documentary Reckon Shop, and works with Rennie Harris Peer Movement, a hip-hop theater company based in Philadelphia. Most recently, he joined the creative team of a Broadway-bound musical about TV series Soul Train and its charismatic host, Don Cornelius. Welcome, Monsell, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've heard you talk a lot about the difference between history and heritage. And to start off, if you wouldn't mind, I want you to take us back a little bit to your history. You grew up on the East Coast in yes. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yes. And I want to hear a little bit about what young Monsell's earliest musical influences were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my earliest musical influence was Louis Jordan, um, age two. My father, who is an avid jazz fan and a musician, amateur musician, he plays about five instruments. He read somewhere that it was good to play music for infants. So he took the toys off of my bassinet. He took them down, hooked up speakers, and he played nothing but classical and jazz music. Wow. So by age two, all I wanted to listen to was Open the Door, Richard by Louis Jordan. That's and, so cool. And that started it. That was it. Yeah. It kicked off yeah. everything. Yeah. And, you know, I would get to see him. He would. Uh, he had a music room, and he would put on a jazz record and play. And he played the congas, the piano, flute, the vibraphone, and the sax. So he would put on a record, and he would play with it. And so I would watch him. That was it. I got. I was hooked. I was hooked on music. The reason I love music the way I do is because of him. So he was an autodidact. Yeah. And you're an autodidact. Somewhat. Yeah. But how did you come to to hip-hop specifically and to hip-hop dance in particular? Well, hip-hop is, it's for me, it's just a name that's put on uh-huh. the current movement now. There's no difference in what has changed in African-American communities since Africans were brought here. The names just continue to change. So everything is a continuum of before. So... You go from Negro spirituals to the blues to ragtime to jazz to R&B to funk to soul or soul and then funk and then hip hop. So it's a cultural practice, um, not this thing that is kind of put in this box. Oh, it's hip hop. I'm like, I look at it much deeper than that from uh, cultural heritage. So coming into it, there was, not, there was no change. There was nothing new. It was just like, okay, this is what we're calling this now. 
the music stemmed from the music I was already growing up with. The idea, the structure, the language was already common. And so now this is the younger generation speaking their existence through this same cultural identity. You've lived and taught around the world, from Russia to Poland, Colombia, Sweden, and now you're based in Los Angeles. Yes. One thing I've I've been wondering um, is how hip hop music and dance. And I know that you know you said that you you go much deeper than just what that kind of signifies now. But how hip hop music and dance, as it's been kind of iterated over the last. 20, 30, even 40 years, I mean, going back, which is such kind of, I think, in the cultural imaginary, if I can call it that, is such an American phenomenon. Yeah, Yeah. nodding kind of. But how does that translate to other countries and cultures? How have you experienced it in your travels? I think the thing that is most common with human beings is the level of or the understanding of our emotions. It is, it is in that that this translation can happen. Uh, the concept of hip-hop sort of liberates. It liberates the community that it comes from, dealing with the lived experience, whether it's oppression or social economics, whatever that is. It li- so it liberates them. That same type of liberation happens in other parts of the world. So for here, for example, hip-hop can liberate people whose national identity is represented by logum. So, like, and you have that in anywhere you go, you'll find what the national identity is. And really interestingly, a lot of countries, they'll have their logum, whatever that is. And so when you think about, like, Japan— was very stringent and is a society that believes you must conform and be this way. You don't stand out. You know, if you're on the train, you're very quiet. And hip-hop fights against that. Uh, so the concept is what's transferable. The deep structure is completely different. And I think this is where a lot of confusion comes in, uh, for me anyway, in understanding how how this idea, this concept is allowed or works in other communities. And it and it should have their lived practice in it. Because once you lose that, it's like, well, who are you? Like, And I think that's the, the thing that people are still trying to navigate. Because there's this idea that to practice hip-hop, to be involved with hip-hop, I must look like or act like, talk like, walk like, dress like. The Americans. And that's that's not it because a lot of that is part of the surface structure. The deep structure is part of the heritage. So the fashion is going to change, it's part of surface structure. And you see that and like that's actually not hip hop. It's been borrowed in, if you will. You know, people think Adidas sneakers. Well, Adidas sneakers are not hip hop. <laughs> they're they're a sense of representation. <laughs> that those at that generation of quote-unquote hip-hop community were like, well, these are the sneakers to wear, or this is the suit, the track suit, or this is the hat. But those things are not hip-hop. The stylization of them may be 
in the cultural context of what Afro-diasporic people do in terms of asserting oneself, speaking one's truth, they are part of that idea in hip-hop. But the jeans, the hat, the sneakers themselves are not hip-hop. It's just the, the representation of it. And so that gets lost, and people are trying to find themselves, and hip-hop's allowing that, but then they're still confused as to who they are because some might believe, well, I'm supposed to look like these Americans. I'm supposed to talk and walk. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, you, you do what you do. You do your dances. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to find that voice, and that takes time. I mean, would you consider it then like a multicultural form, a really cosmopolitan form, this sort of mixing uh, with the, the deep structure and the kind of, you know, cultural specifics of where hip-hop lands in the world? Yeah, I mean, specificity for it, we all grow up different. And so we're not looking at that. You know, hip-hop has become this thing, and it's just this in these borders. And I think it, we need to have a conversation beyond those borders. You know, when you think about the practice of religion or faith-based practices, what, what you know, whatever one believes, the deep root structure in relation to hip-hop that we find in spiritual practice is connected to Yoruba traditions that many Africans had uh, that were brought up here, brought to America. And that deep structure is there, even if like some of the stuff, some of the surface things have changed, that's still there. So the, the relationship between a hip hop circle or cipher in relationship to spirituality and even the language, that's still there. And it's a practice that exists that doesn't exist somewhere else. You know, if you grew up in a Catholic church, your spiritual practice or worship is not the same as somebody who grew up in a Baptist church, right? In sense of the music, in sense of the movement or dancing or however you want to call it. Well, that is part of the lineage. So there's a different take on what that is. The, the, the foods, the, you know, all of these things add context to the dance. The dance is not some arbitrary thing plucked out of this spatial vacuum. It's movement that has a context based on the lived experience. So your social, political, economical, environmental circumstances add value to it. And this is why we do what we do. And so that can be different from this community, that community. And that's what we have to have conversations about to so people find their space in that, uh, which is really interesting because not all cultures act like that. You know, a lot of kids in other cultures, they're like, well, our folklore, we don't want to do that. We're, we're African-Americans have a tendency to reinvent their folklore, even in the space of not understanding what that is. Uh-huh. It's, it's something that's part of cellular memory. And so it continues in some really interesting ways. That's a, that's a really fascinating answer. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that you've talked about just now and that I've, I've, I've heard you talk about before is this idea of, of, of hip-hop as being evergreen. And so because I'm a media scholar, I have to ask the quintessential kind of cliche media question, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is, how much of a role does mass media play in hip hop's development and how people understand it? So here I'm thinking about films. Um, I'm thinking about TV shows like these dance contests, like so you um, so you think you can dance in America's Best Dance Crew, 
And I'm thinking about, um, you know, more social media iterations, things like Leah Kim, who's a Korean choreographer, or Trisha Miranda, who has a studio in Los Angeles, and they have these YouTube channels where there are kids who are dancing and they showcase their choreography. Um, My daughter really loves um, the Missy Elliott choreography that Trisha Miranda has done. Do you see um, social media, new media, as changing how people understand hip-hop or influencing it in some way? It's definitely influencing it. I don't feel like it's uh, changing their understanding. I feel like it's it's missing the understanding uh, because, like, people see, you know, you, you just saw, you know, whatever artist on television and X millions of people follow this person, and you have this idea, well, that's hip-hop. Not necessarily. That doesn't mean it's, you know, it's good dancing. I wouldn't call that hip-hop. And so the the media pushes this idea of what hip hop is without full investigation of what it actually is with the people in the core, on the ground, in the communities. And there's a slight misrepresentation that happens, which is no fault of anybody who comes into the space and, you know, is enamored by it. Well, this is how it was presented to you, so that's how you understand it. Okay. But this is what you're missing. And that's where social media kind of gets in the way. It's become this, you know, once it enters the commodity system, it is something that is uh, void of any, you know, deep-rooted cultural background significance that plays a certain role in a community of people and and what those meanings and messages are. Those things kind of get lost. And then it becomes just entertainment. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, it's entertaining, but there's so much more to extract from the dance than it just being entertainment. It speaks to, again, one's lived experience and how they navigate the, the their day-to-day lives through this practice. And they're dancing even if they're not performing. And so you're not where I feel like a lot of people are dancing for performance sake. Those that are immersed in the cultural identity are dancing for life's sakes, not art. And that's a confusion. So it's like, oh, I want to be famous or I want to dance. And Well, we're dancing even if we're not on stage. Even if there, there are no YouTube hits, we're still dancing. YouTube and social media is just a tool to use. It's not the purpose, the events, the battles. It's not the reason we're dancing. We are dancing regardless of these things. It is part of our identity. We, you know, there are so many people, I tell people that all the time, there are so many people you will never meet that on the weekends go to clubs and they will outdance some of your most favorite dancers. (laughs) You've never heard of these people because it's just part of the live practice. Like we dance, we just go out. And you don't have club culture around the world in the way that America does. Obviously there are clubs, but it's a different understanding. It's a different history. So yeah, that's where media gets it wrong. Um, it becomes just a part of the entertainment factors for a lot of people. And, and shows like So You Think You Can Dance, they miss the mark. <laughs> so, I, I really wanted I to ask you about that I show. Don't, they, I, I don't even like those shows, to be honest with you. I do think the shows have introduced dance to a, a huge uh, audience who right. probably weren't even considering dance. Or, you know, people are like, oh, I think I want to take a dance class now because they watch these shows. I think that's marvelous. That's amazing. 
However, if you go into a studio, just because you watch this show and you say, well, I'm going to take this dance class now, do the instructors, educators there, do they know what they're really talking about? And hip-hop in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, having a hip-hop dance class in your local studio became such a marketing ploy because the studios didn't know what hip-hop dance was. So, But they knew that if they didn't have a hip-hop class, they might lose students to this other studio that offers it. And neither studio knows what the dance really is. And I remember working in studios, and I would hear that owners would ask ballet students to teach a hip-hop class. Uh, one, one student of mine in particular... She said this uh, teacher asked her, and she's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't do hip-hop. And the owner of the studio said, just watch a video and do what they do in the oh, video. Oh, boy. And so this is, <laughs> and people see that, and it's like, well, this is the new jazz. No, it's not the new jazz. There's a difference between concert jazz and authentic jazz dancing. And this, the, the direction that authentic jazz fell into because of the concert world is the same thing that was happening in hip-hop. You have this, quote-unquote, commercial hip-hop. There's no such thing as commercial hip-hop. You cannot preface the word hip-hop with commercial because that suggests that commercial is a form, and commercial is not a form, right? We understand commercial to be a commodity, and it, and it sells a product because you're dancing in front of these artists or what have you. But it in itself, there's no, there's no foundation. There's no commercial technique, commercial vocabulary. None of these things exist. And so people, oh, I'm taking this class, but that's you're not learn you're doing choreography and choreography is anything a car chase scene in a movie is choreography it doesn't make it dance so choreography becomes just placement i'm like y'all are not understanding what this information is because you're being fed in a particular way that's not expounding on it it's not you know explaining what the significance what these differences are you know who's who what's what they're not getting that but uh they're being entertained again so You've said in other interviews that hip-hop dancing is breaking and social dancing, and that's it. Yes. Um, so in the sense um, that it's a style of dance that's made up by the community mm-hmm. with dance steps that emerge from that community and from their social interactions, right. if I'm getting that right. Right. But you've also said that um, folks need to get out into the communities, the streets of the communities where hip-hop is a central social force and still an important cultural form. And that history is something that you discuss in your book, Beginning Hip-Hop, and in your documentary, Everything Remains Raw, Hip-Hop's Folkloric Lineage. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the centrality of community in place to hip-hop, and you've, you've already touched on this, but also how that jives with teaching hip-hop in a studio <laughs> or teaching hip-hop at USC. Yeah, very different things. Mm. Uh, very interesting polarities there. <laughs> um, so one, yes, when it comes to hip-hop dance, there are only two forms that are actually hip-hop dance. The party dances, and that goes from the 80s. You could probably include dances from the 70s where hip-hop wasn't the language, but it was part of what was becoming hip-hop. So there's 70s or 80s, if you want, to now. And now the the major force, at least coming out of New York City, is light feet. 
that is a direct lineage to what was happening in the 80s. And what was happening in the 80s is a direct lineage to what was coming out of the 20s, 30s, and 40s for the jazz era. And so there's party dances. It's just the basic name, party dances. You go to the parties and you dance. And you have uh, breaking or correctly known as b-boying, which is hip-hop's first dance. And so this is, if 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 anyone uh, listening has ever seen young kids spinning on their heads or spinning on their backs and this is part of, of, of breaking or b-boying, b-girling. And it's it's a really interesting dance that's developed from the 70s on. However, it has roots that date back hundreds of years. That's That information gets lost in translation because when you look at, there's a dance um, during the jazz era called eccentric dancing that has multiple forms. There's Eccentric dancing would be like this umbrella term. And you're you're appearing in a documentary about this, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. right. And, Coming uh, out next year, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, transla- translations. Translations? Translations. Yeah. It's uh, about jazz. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and eccentric dancing, some of the forms in there were comedic movements. It was supposed to entertain you. Uh, and a lot of the movement that we see in break-in, you will find during the eccentric dance period. So if you look back at, you know, stuff that Donald O'Connor did or not so much Gene Kelly, but the comedic roles that dancing played in the 30s, in the movies in the 30s and 40s, even 50s, you'll see a lot of the similarities between the movement, but that's eccentric dance, not breaking. Breaking is very specific to the 70s and what the youth were doing then, named so because of the music that they danced to, which was break beats from, you can get break beats from any record. It's not specific to hip-hop, but hip-hop, again, the same way that hip-hop adopted or said or co-opted, if you even if you want, that this clothing, this is hip-hop, this represents hip-hop. Well, this music, this section of music represented hip-hop, the breaks. But James Brown didn't call it hip-hop. You know, the Beatles didn't call it hip-hop. It was just a break beat. And even the word break goes back to plantation days as a dance. Um, you would have corn shucking contests where the enslaved people would shuck corn. And to break the stalk, the the uh, main piece of the corn, the stem, that that was a break. So during the festivals, you would have dances called the breakdown. And it was because you wow. were breaking down the corn. Uh-huh. And you see that language kind of grow throughout the time since then attached with multiple dances, the Cincinnati breakdown, it was the, the L.A. breakdown, it was just the breakdown that existed in different communities had their ways of doing it. Uh, there's the break in the music. Um, there's even in the 70s, there was a phrase, why are you breaking on me? Like, so if someone's yelling at you, it was like, hey, why are you breaking on me? <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was basically like going off. So that's how the name breaking was attached to or break was attached to the dance from Cool Hurt, uh, making that connection. Like, these are the kids that are going off. They're breaking. You get to the breaking point. And it's the same way if someone's yelling at you. So there's that connection there. Um, And those are the only two dances. Everything else is like a cousin. So you have all these other forms that are under the umbrella, but only the two are actually hip-hop and that are dance to specific music. The difference between, like, breaking and the party dances is, I mean, one, you were no longer on the ground like that, uh, but you had dances that by this time, the culture is called hip-hop in 81, and 
you have now rappers creating songs that you specifically did dances to, or they would tell you, or they were instructional songs, you tell you how to do dance. <laughs> and that's a huge difference because there's not too many records that tell you how to spin on your head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not Just making, black. yeah, right, not making light of breaking, but that, that was a huge difference. And then everything, whacking, uh, voguing, house, um, locking, popping, none of these are hip hop dances. They are unto themselves. Whacking is whacking. Voguing is voguing. You can put, because of Pop and Pete, a member of Electric Boogaloo's, you can put popping, which is not pop locking, just popping, and then there's locking. <laughs> <laughs> Created by two different people in two different parts of the state. And you can put them under a funk styles, which some people also include waving and tutting and all these other sub styles. But they're not hip hop dances. They're just under that umbrella. Okay. So I mean, how do you how do you do this in terms of because you're a dancer, you're an artist who deals in embodied practice and history and who has done so many performances. What is it like to lecture about dance to students <laughs> at a university? And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but like my practice on on urban expressive um, practice, my pedagogical practice is very much like taking the theory from the classroom and then sending students out into the city and yeah. trying to get them to see it practically and see it in the everyday. And um, it's very much about that sort of um, movement and sound and how we experience those things. But you're kind of doing this really interesting to and fro, at least I imagine, um, starting with movement and sound and then articulating it in the classroom and then going back out. So how do you how do you do that? Well, there, I mean, there's the dance classes that I teach. Right. Uh, there's classes for what we call elective students who just want to take a dance class. Uh, there We have majors who are there to specialize in dance practice. And then there are lecture classes. The majors, I try to, they have a very rigorous schedule, studying multiple forms and performing a lot in rehearsals. So I try to get them to to the community practice sessions as often as I can. Um, There are some really dedicated ones that go every week. Right. And I tell them about other parties that's going on or what, what, anything that's happening considering hip-hop in the community, you know, myself and the other teachers that specialize in hip-hop. We're always letting them know, oh, this event's coming up. You should go check this out and be a part of this. And with the electives, same thing. You know, these are the practice sessions that are going on so that we can further your education in this. Because if you only come in here a couple of days out of a week, you're not really going to get it. You right. might get some movement ideas, but you're not going to start to really fully grasp it unless you be a part of the community and see that it's not just one person saying, well, this is how this is done you're influenced by everybody in the space. Right. So everybody becomes, you know, the, the old saying, each one teach one. Here in the studio, this is uh, more directly geared toward your understanding and vocabulary and how to build and self-awareness and practice and what, how to be in the space in the community, how to understand it, how to relate, how to participate. And with the lecture classes, my approach is completely different than the lecture classes. <laughs> So with the lecture classes, my goal is to strengthen human empathy. It's not even about, like, so I teach origins of jazz dance. I teach uh, African-American dance, uh, illustrated history. 
and I teach a course called Hip Hop Don't Stop. In all three of those, it is not about the form of dance we're studying. Again, my goal is empathy. So we are going to look at the human experience through the lens of dance. And it's to get people to consider like their what 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 their lived experience is, has been, what their cultural identity is, if they come from another place. And uh, e- even if they were born in America, what 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 is that? What does that look like? You know, what what are the privileges that one might have or go through? How are you navigating life and then how are you relating to your fellow human being? You know, how do you connect to somebody who is not from where you're from, who doesn't look like you, who doesn't have the same thing, the same understanding, same conversation? And so I use dance to get to them through that way so that they start to see themselves a little bit differently, so that they start to um, dig into the human experience. And with all of that, I think what it does is it creates advocates for the hip-hop community. Because, again, I said earlier, people are going to dance. They're going to express themselves in this way. It has now become such a thing that you can sustain yourself. You can find a way to make a living dancing or promoting or throwing these parties. But where do you get the support? Because even though there are companies... Very few dance companies that focus on hip-hop movement. The grants are usually given to like modern dance companies or ballet dance companies. And the idea, at least in America, is like, well, we have one hip-hop company. Why do we need more? It's like, but you have a gazillion ballet companies that you still fund. And so there's a space where that sense of funding is coming from people who relate to ballet, let's say, or modern dance. They get it. They don't really get hip-hop. So why give the funding to them? I don't even understand what that is. Oh, it's just entertainment. And this community of teaching people, so I had a dear friend of mine said, why are you in the university? Well, I like being in the university because I love getting into deeper conversations about cultural identity. And in my community, they know how to do this. They don't need to learn how to do this. African-Americans know how to do it. They grow up doing it. They may not understand the heritage so there's that to teach. But the movement itself, it's part of corporeal conversations that happen. So it's nothing new. They just get that. So teaching it to somebody else is like, now I'm teaching this cultural practice to a different community so they understand this is like learning a language. Any kind of dance that you learn, is you're learning a different cultural identity, how they move, you know, how they think. And that's what the lecture classes become so that... You know, here's this engineer who, and we actually had this a couple of times, students who found themselves going to hip-hop functions. They're not dancers, but now they have a different understanding of what it is, and they want to participate in however they can participate. So their influence with their job is like, oh, well, we can fund this. These people are doing these kind of things, and let's, let's fund this program. Let's fund this thing. So we're creating advocates for the art form or for the arts which is, you can never have enough of, right? So totally. uh, completely different take, you know, for the lecture class, different, different focus. I had a student who was with her girlfriends and they were having a conversation about Black Lives Matter in America. And her girlfriends couldn't understand, like, well, you know, this one thing happened and so what's the issue? But because she had taken my class and she understood systemic racism from a particular lens, 
she completely changed her friend's conversation or outlook on why Black Lives Matter is the thing. So it's it's that. It's it's getting people to, you know, what I call recognize, like to recognize what they're seeing uh, and have a different understanding of who we are as human beings. You've talked about how hip hop's deriving from African dance traditions keeps it oriented toward the ground, um, to the earth. So I wanted to talk for a minute about the ground that is frequently under your feet these right. days, <laughs> which is um, Los Angeles, California. Shaky uh, ground. It's shaky ground. <laughs> shaky ground. Shaky ground in so many Literally ways. Shaky Literally, shaky ground. <laughs> exactly. I'm from San Diego. I know all about this. Um, and it's a city that is culturally rich, but politically fraught. You know, it's a borderland. It's a city in a country that has forever been and continues to tolerate and even promote violence against particular communities and bodies. And so I, I wanted to to hear a little bit about whether or not you think that hip-hop as music, hip-hop as dance, um, or even hip-hop as a politics, um, what role hip-hop can play right now in the United States? Oh, even in the world. In uh, the world, hip -hop, sure, yeah. Hip-hop is doing what nothing else has been able to do, bring everybody together. Like the concept of hip hop at its core is one thing. Can you rock? <laughs> Can you rock in in terms of the ideologies in hip hop? Yeah. Can you rock the mic? Can you rock the floor? Can you rock the turntables? Can you rock the wall? Can you rock? We don't care where you from what you speak, how much money you have, don't have, were you in a video, we don't care. Can you participate in this? And hopefully to the depth of appreciation that the community does. That's it. And so globally, people are, again, liberating themselves through this art form. And they're coming together. They don't speak the same language. They speak the language of movement. And even in that, there are some deep roots that are not always understood. And okay, that's fine. There's a space to grow and learn. But just the, the practicum of the movement, they relate and they have a conversation in that way. And no, nothing, nothing has been able to do that. Music does it. The dance does it. And yeah, if we're looking for, you know, it, it's it's how we craft what it can be to help guide, again, that sense of empathy where through this practice we kind of start to understand one another. We just don't leave it to, well, I don't need to speak, but we just through dance and we, yeah, but there's more to learn. There's more to grow because our cultural identities are still there. You know, hip-hop is... It, the idea of it being global is an interesting conversation because not everything is understood in the same way. So my value system can be completely different from your value system because of our lived experience, our cultural dynamics. And we don't care about this in the same way. We practice it 
And so from a, 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 a movement space, there's a, it's, it's reciprocal. But in a deep structure, it may not be. But again, it's bringing people together. So once we bring them together, we just need to know how to have a conversation to strengthen the support for you, for me, for us. And uh, yeah, hip hop is having a go at that like nothing has ever done before. Speaking of, you know, this sort of um, a, a global art form, or at least an art form that has traveled and has been rearticulated in things. Um, we were talking about um, these dance studios, right, where um, ballet instructors or students were told to watch a video and then give a hip hop class right. so that the studio could remain financially viable and competitive, right? right? And you were talking about that as being something that was maybe um, happening uh, in the early 2000s around that time or that was. And I was just thinking about how that was also a period of time um, where belly dance became Mm. this really hot new art form in the States. Mm -hmm. And um, not that I am a belly dance expert in any sense of the imagination, but I do have you know, roots in the Arab world. And I remember a lot of my, um, a lot of my girlfriends in college started taking these classes where (laughs) the belly dance was like super sexualized. You know, it was like clearly for a heteronormative male gaze where belly dance, um, Middle Eastern dance um, amongst women it's a very social dance right. that is for women, right. by women, for women. Um, and so um, a lot of them joined troops, and there was this sort of fusion, and a lot of burlesque troops picked it up, you know. Um, so this really kind of it was a very Orientalist kind of, of performance um, that uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and so I wonder, you know, um, if there are still conversations about, and I should say too, that a lot of women I knew who were, you know, practicing belly dance ended up kind of seeing the light a little bit and and deciding that if they weren't going to do it, if they weren't going to go and learn it, mm-hmm. right? Like learn mm-hmm. it from a community that practices it, mm-hmm. then they probably shouldn't be, you know, up on stage making it into something right. that it wasn't meant to be. Right. But I wonder if there are also conversations um, still around cultural appropriation in hip-hop dance. Like, what the, what are those conversations like right now? You just described one. Yeah? Like, like that, that narrative fits into everything. Uh-huh. And so, again, when you're, look, when you're thinking about the lived practice for someone, it is that. It is a lived practice. You know, you look at all the yoga studios around the world. But the, So you, you think about hip-hop. The studio I used to teach at, and I used to teach at 23 studios, or not 23 studios, but I had 23 classes a week. And I would have classes where young kids would come once a week on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and that was their only experience with hip-hop. You're never going to get this. Because, you know, I had one student, her parents didn't even allow music to play in the house. So the relationship to music is, is not going to be there. You don't listen to hip-hop. Any of you don't listen to hip-hop outside of this class. You don't do any of these dance practices outside of this class. You don't relate to any of the gestures. And, again, the, the, 
dance comes from our social cultural gestures that happen. They become, and those gestures become a dance. There's a lot of concepts behind what you know what the dance is, and that gets lost. And so, it, it, for hip hop, for yoga, okay, you practice yoga, you know, once a week or whatever it is. But if the rest of your life is not conducive to that environment, what are you doing? All right, you might learn how to stretch because you, <laughs> you, you, you took a yoga class. But in in the space of you know meditation, embodiment, peace, and serenity, if the rest of you you don't go to a yoga class and then go to some nine to five accountant job, that you're not in the practice. With hip hop, you're not in the practice if it, you're doing this for this hour and. You know, this 90-minute class. The rest of your life has nothing to do with this. You're not in the lived experience. So that gets lost in, in all of these studios, this sense of co-opting. It's not working. You know, and it's become, again, it becomes entertainment. It becomes, I'm selling this idea to you. And whatever your own, you know, dissonance is with how you deal with being a part of that, even momentarily, like, what is that? And it's it's selling this idea that I get to participate in. Oh, I, I yeah, I took a hip-hop dance class. But what does that even mean? Like, I never took a hip-hop dance class. I just danced. There were no classes. You just dance. You just go out and you go dancing. So, again, that's part of my cultural identity. And so th- these things are, again, put into a commodity system where somebody who says, I can make money from this. This is how this can work. Uh, oh, we can sell this and we can push this. And, you know, they're just making money off of culture. And that becomes a problem. And then that's when we go back to social media. That's how it's presented. It's presented as a product. And it's not a product. It can be a product. But then who's benefiting from the product? Totally. And it exists in this vacuum, which it doesn't exist in, in right. the real world. Right. Yeah. I was just um, looking up, trying to look up this book, I can't remember what it was called. Um, I taught it to my students back at UCSD on, in a class I, I taught on um, youth and social change. Mm-hmm. And I think it was called um, Hip Hop Politics or hmm. um, Hip Hop as Politics. But it's, it's um, I'll find the name of it. But um, it is about sort of uh, one community. It's about Oakland. Right. And it's about the gentrification mm. of this area, right? And like what it has done, especially for children of color. So like there's a vast Korean American community there and um, black American communities. And um, and then what s- like students have done drawing on hip hop culture to try right. to reclaim different neighborhoods within mm-hmm. Oakland, um, at their schools, at their community centers, um, through dance, through music. It's really fantastic. It's a really great book. Um, but yeah, so it's, it isn't something that just exists as in, in a dance studio, right? It's out, it's in the community, it's a lifestyle, it's a, it's a practice, cultural practice, a daily practice. It is. And it, it's, for me, some of the things that I struggle with you know, people are into hip hop, whatever that is, dance, music, whatever that is. But there's a space that for me is it fits into this American, you know, paradigm that America is a place that will make you forget your cultural roots. 
because it's I'm American. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. If you're indigenous, maybe. Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm with you. And you still wouldn't call it America, but the indigenous people, yeah. The rest of you are from, and myself included, are from somewhere else. So the the connection to one's genealogy is just lost. And so we're like, well, okay, well, we had this, this, this inner city youth, uh, you know, uh, Asian kids and Mexican kids, and we're going to use hip-hop. That's not their <laughs> cultural root. That's not you. You. It's now become this thing, right? This object. Oh, we're going to use this tool because it's what the youth are in. How about you speak power to their cultural identity? And search what is that? Who are the significant players, writers, artists, musicians that speak to Mexican people, that speak to Latino people, that speak to speak to speak to speak to? And let's uplift that. This is where the deep structure comes in. It's like y'all get lost and you're looking at surface structure. Mm-hmm. And that's fine for bringing us together, but we can go in deep to speak to communities of people and f- they find their power in their identity and their strength. And like, oh, this is who I'm a part of. And that gets so lost to me. And hip hop is one way that people just, oh, it's a shiny object. This is what people are into, and it's hip-hop. And yeah. it's like, no, you're missing the mark. And, you know, there are gestures in dance I talk about all the time. Um, one dance in particular, I, I normally talk about this dance because it's so common. So uh, there's this dance called the Nene. And the, you ask people to describe it. You know, well, you put your one hand in the air and you kind of walk backwards and stuff. <laughs> You have these different descriptions, but the dance is interesting because the dance reflects gestures made particularly in African-American communities that hold meanings and messages that are both serious and satirical. So in in, in flip sense, they're both sacred and secular. Hmm. And everybody's doing them, but you don't know what you're doing. So you actually don't know what you're saying. You don't know what these gestures mean and they're not done in your community. So that's what I'm saying. Like we, we pick up the thing because, Oh, this is the thing to do, but I don't know what I'm doing. Hip hop is the thing to be a part of, but I don't know what it actually means. Right. Right. And so again, it brings us together, but here's a space where we start to delve into like what, is this? How do I relate to it? How does the concept of hip hop fit into my cultural lens? And then how do I find myself with this concept, but doing what we do right. in my community? Right. So what, like, so the gestures in my community are well, commonly people in my community culture speak, and we there's this common gesture. I'm gonna put that in the dance, right? Why would you put that gesture? That is, so the dance, the, the gesture that African Americans do speaks specifically to a lived experience that you have no idea, which means you can put yours into it. So there's a there's a root movement to the dance, the legs, but the arm gesture doesn't have to be this. It could be this. So we challenge these concepts. And so this is where I struggle with hip hop, it being taught globally because there's information that's misunderstood. There's, in the dance practice, there is space, I believe, for understanding what the root of the movement is. And then where the improvisation is, maybe that improvisational aspect, you can use 
part of your social, cultural identity in place of so that it has more meaning for for you and your community. And we're, we're not, you know, we're being taught, well, as Americans, we've got to do what Americans do. So like, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I just do not agree with that. Yeah, it's choreography instead It becomes of... choreography, yeah, instead of personal experience. Right. Um, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's, I keep repeating this because it's, there's no reason to go further. It's social, cultural experience. Mm-hmm. In the studio dance practice, there has been for years this idea that, you know, ballet is technical. Well, everything is technical. Mm-hmm. Like everything. There's a technique to doing everything. And then in dance practice, when we talk about technique, all we're really talking about is structural alignment. If the skeletal is stru- is aligned, that allows the body to do this thing or that thing. That's all that is. But dance is everywhere. It comes from everyone. It, it There is no specific form that is above another. There is no hierarchy in dance, even though that has been preached for years. There are only social, cultural differences. Ballet is no more or less important than Cuban rumba, than hip-hop, than, you know, this sacred dance of hit. They're all the same. So when you're learning it, you're learning about a social-cultural experience and what is valuable and important to them, what their heritage is, what their ancestry, how their ancestors lived, how they practiced, how they saw life. You're learning that. You're learning the language, verbal, corporeal, uh, these ideas that help one navigate their lived experience. And that doesn't get taught. Mm-hmm. It's do this, do this. And usually for the dance practice, they're only doing something because, in my opinion, the the ones that go on to have this dance career is because the media machine is showing them that if you want to get in films or you want to get in this dance company or this Broadway show, you have to know this, 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 and this. And it's through a very parochial lens because it doesn't it doesn't bring in other dance practice. So it's like, oh, dance is you're saying dance is this in this little lane. When dance is this and much you know, it's broad. Expansive. It's expansive. And yeah. we're not we're not looking at that. And so only these, you know, these fractions of movement get taught where the rest of society is not even considered. Or, and you're talking about going to a, a, an institution or a university, that these over here become electives. Right, right. But your core study is ballet, is, right. is modern, right. is contemporary, which that's confusing already, modern, <laughs> modern contemporary. I've so never understood. They don't even understand <laughs> it. Um, but, you know, that's that's all you get. And so that's been... That's been the, the, the gatekeepers of this sense of hierarchy. But in, again, in truth, there is no hierarchy in dance. There's just our sociocultural differences. And are we willing to learn that and stop the erasure and start to see people? And even if we don't agree, have the space to appreciate why it's, inv- why it's valuable to them. Uh, you, you don't have to agree with it, but you can at least like, okay, I, I see, I understand why you move like that, why you talk like that, why the music is this or that. It's not for me, but I get it now. And so then you're like, okay, you see, and, and hopefully not just understand, but comprehend, which people seem to confuse. I understand it, but do you comprehend it? Right. So, so you know, 
So it's there's a lot to look at, and uh, we have a long way to go, which is why I said, you know, my course is it's about empathy. It's about breaking down these barriers, these concepts that have been put in place that, you know, stagnate how we connect to each other, how we see our similarities, understand our differences, uh, how we negotiate our identities, our lived experiences, relate to others, just navigating how to be in the world, how to be in the room with other people. Right. And so that's, and that's bring me back, but that's, again, what the my focus and pretty much all of my classes are, is that. And even in the space where hip-hop for me is so up ingrained in my cultural identity that I still create safe, brave spaces for people to Find out who they are, and I, and and it's it, that's something I I really struggle with teaching dance. Uh, it's one of the reasons I stopped going to other countries to teach right. dance because there's a cultural aspect to it that it you're not going to understand. You know, being in Poland, you know, I could be in Poland for weeks and not see, you know, somebody of my complexion, right. Right. And I'm teaching you these dance practices that come out of a particular community, out of a particular understanding and lived experience that you have no relationship to. It's not in your news. It's not in your social environment. So you're not going to understand the value of it. You might understand how to do it. But in terms of a cultural practice, I can see that you're proficient in a movement. But it's not informed by the same type of things that inform my community. And so when I look at it, I don't see that. I see proficiency in movement, but I don't see the information. And that's that's some of the issues I have behind, you know, battles mm. that, you know, if I'm in if I'm here, if I'm in Sweden and I'm watching a battle, I'm judging based on and, and it's all it's so subjective. <laughs> and, and there's a there's a cyclical there's a cyclical thing that happens with objectivity and subjectivity. Right. And so I'm looking at this, and what speaks to me is my cultural lens. But what if you're doing something that's in your cultural lens that I don't understand it? But I'm the one judging. I, there's a false narrative there, and I'm like you, you should be of unless you have like boxing rules. Like nowhere, no matter where you go in the room in the world, <laughs> boxing is boxing. It's yeah. the same rules. We're looking at the same thing. But if we don't have that in place, then why am I judging? I'm judging you based on my lived experience and my. So I'm saying that you you're supposed to look like me, but no, you're not. You're supposed to reflect your environment because in the representation, we're talking about the stories and the narratives and the constructed ideas that go with that environment, not in mine. So there's so much misinformation. Again, there's a space for bringing us together, but now we need to have conversations that really support and uplift the the the, the diversity of the communities that find themselves in, in whatever the thing is, hip hop, uh, and and they're able to speak their truths in it and not offend or hurt. You know, and, and that gets lost. And that's where we deal with appropriation comes into that place because appropriation usually, it, it, when people are most offended, is 
the miseducation, mm-hmm. the financial uh, access, and then just access in general. Like, okay, you came, you you studied this art form, this practice in this community, but you're the one that's being asked to choreograph and speak on it, and and you're not even bringing in those. That becomes a problem. In, in, in terms of people being there, you know, for African, for Afro-diasporic people, the there is a sense of, you know, come come on and get some of this. Like, we're open. Like, come yeah, come and participate in this. Like, be be a part of this. But you don't you don't come be a part of it and then take it and then don't acknowledge. Right. Like you know. So yeah, that, that's the difference. That, that that's, that's it. a huge difference. And then just not understanding and other aspects of appropriation that may not speak directly to the dance practice, but just understanding systemic racism. Sure. Uh, and and what it means, why it's a problem for, you know, somebody to wear their hair braided. When there are places in America where, you know, black women who have a heritage of this types of hairstyles can't get jobs. That's right. Or like the kids whose hair has been cut at school. Right. This is ridiculous. Or before a wrestling match. Yeah, like this is Exactly. And there's a lack of appreciation. There's, I mean, African Africans were brought there as labor force. You know, there were so many migrations, but... The level of forced migrations that Africans went through, you know, you, you, Irish were uh, migrated mostly out of political frustration and, you know, uh, food shortage. So you have migration there. Jews, Jewish people migrated like there was so many migrations happening. But the level of forced migration for Africans were like, well, you're only here for this. Anything beyond that, we're not really interested in, in you as a people because of when you look at the those that traveled, um, particularly out of Europe, you have Jean Barbeau out of France, and a lot of he had a book that was uh, his manuscript came out I think in 1732, which really helped navigate the continuing of the transatlantic slave trade, and not just him, but you have um, Herodotus who was at one point considered the father of history until they, like, you're crazy. Mm. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, you have all of these different people going back to Herodotus, coming all the way up to the 18th, 19th century, who had really interesting ideas about who African people were, you know, from thinking that they had snouts and they had tails and they have no mouth. Mm. And... They were fit for entertainment and enslavement, which was what John Barbeau said. And these things, you know, situate you in a situation where you're being looked at as this. This is the narrative for you. You know, they don't have a language. They screech like bats. Well, if you don't speak their language, anything sounds like noise. You know, I could I can be in Sweden. I'm like, I have this sounds. <laughs> You know, right. this, this sounds like, exactly. respectfully, this sounds like noise. Cause yeah. I, but I understand that I don't know what they're saying because I don't know the morphology or the syntax or, you know, I don't know the, the grammatical structures. I don't have any information. I don't, the sounds are unfamiliar to me, uh, which is something uh, uh, one of my mentors talks about. And just, you know, the reason that we speak the way that we speak is based on the environments we grew up and noise was being heard and understood. So, 
when I when I again part of that deep structure in hip hop to to make this all connect is and you asked me about my earliest you know recollection of music. Yeah, I grew up in an environment where certain music and and sounds and languages were being held, held, heard, certain ideas. And I saw this as a child. I heard this as a child. This is how my community relates, so it makes sense to me. And a part of that cellular memory is understanding what those narratives have been talked about and why that's hurtful and and what that means and what you don't understand. And that's not part of the conversation enough to understand why you don't understand you wearing blackface or you having your hair braided, like why, because you don't understand why that's a problem. And I'm not mad at you because these are conversations that have to continue. They, they, people say, well, I wish racism, racism would die. It's never going to die mm-hmm. in the sense that we always have to educate the next generation about what happened. Right. And if we can't ignore it because then it's like it didn't happen, and then we acknowledge that these people didn't experience what they experienced, which it's you just don't negate that whole experience. So it's it's going to be around even if only in the sense and hopefully in the sense of educating people what the past was. But there's some constructs that we have to get out of. And like one of them is race doesn't exist. It's a construct that deals with upper and lower class, quote unquote. And racism is real because of the construct and how we see people, unfortunately. But race is not real. We are, in my opinion, we are one being and that is human beings. Someone just asked me this. What do you identify? I was like, I'm human. <laughs> Are you? I'm human. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's these ideas, these perceptions that have been, been, been just embedded in our brain, in our psyche, in our cerebellum. They live and we can't get out of them. We can't get out of the construct. And it's going to be difficult because it's been so many years. But this is a part of the problem. You talk about appropriation and all these other ideas is that we're not seeing people as people. We're not celebrating differences. That's still a human being. And they just have a different way of being in the world. And and this this is this is just what comes up, whether whether we're talking about dance, whether we're talking about, you know, whatever, cultural dynamics. There's always these shifts that we have to deal with, these shifts in understanding, these shifts in language and and how you you identify, define something or a thing. If we get past that one day, I hope someday, you know, we might have start to have some different conversations. And it's it's really interesting because even in doing that, it's like, you know, we as people, we celebrate our differences. And so how do you celebrate the totality of being in the world but still understand the significance of these individual spaces of being and, and what's specific to a community to a culture you know we have we have to figure those things out yeah and it sounds like in so many ways the way that you're approaching your pedagogy your performance you know the way that you educate and continue to be a part of this community is a way forward towards that it's challenging. I challenge people yeah. a lot, and I challenge myself because yeah. I'm still trying to work through things, you know. And um, but I but I am I am consistent in um, the two understandings that I'm very consistent in that always bring me back to 
again, creating that safe race space for people to be where I, where there is a sense of inclusivity. Um, that is my definition of dance, which is discovering the autobiographical self, negotiating creativity and expression. Awesome. Human beings are in constant discovery of who they are. We are constantly negotiating our gender, our language, our culture, our voice, our ideas, so on and so forth. The creativity is the production of those things. The expressiveness is the space that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to share our core feelings with other people, but more importantly, ourselves, because we deny self before anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the understanding that we are human beings. And when I say human beings, I mean H-U-E, Hue. I don't believe in, uh, I, have, I struggle with the concept of black and white. There are no such thing as black and white people. There is blackness, there is whiteness because of the construct. But to call somebody, to call an Asian person yellow is derogatory. Mm -hmm. To call an indigenous person of America red man is derogatory. Black and white should be derogatory. Mm -hmm. But again, blackness and whiteness, it's a different. It's a different conversation uh, because of the construct. But we are all the same in terms of color. We are all the same color. Everyone on this planet is of one color, multiple hues, mm. from the lightest to the darkest. So a human being, hue, H-U-E, not H-U, shade, M period A period M period, molecular anatomical neurocomputers. Being, B-E, means to exist, I-N-G, in action. That's a human being. So we're, we're all that. But again, we still have different social, cultural experiences. Sure. And we acknowledge, appreciate, and celebrate those differences and in that find our similarities. And then we'll, we'll find ourselves in some better situations. Let's hope so. Ansel, thank you so much thank for this you. conversation today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.